Hey, this is the Mark Butler Show, episode 17. And this week I have risk on my mind. And I'm trying to think about how to apply different ideas about risk to my, my projects, to my income in my business, uh, with my products. And what I'm trying to figure out is whether I'm actually not letting enough risk into my projects. That might sound strange because risk is something that we always want to mitigate, we want to avoid, right? That's, that's how we talk about risk. But the reality is for specific goals that you might have for your projects, if you don't let enough risk in, then you don't leave yourself open to reaching some of those bigger goals. So let me see if I can explain this in a way that it makes sense to me and hopefully makes some sense to you and is valuable to you. As a backdrop, let me tell you just a little bit about this crazy author whose books I've read over the last couple of years. His name is Nassim Nicholas Taleb or Nicholas Nassim Taleb. I can't remember which one it is. He wrote a book called The Black Swan, and he wrote a book called Anti-Fragile. And he's a guy who's kind of, he's a nutty guy, to be honest, but he's extremely intelligent. He's hated by academics. He hates academics, and, and he writes these really dense books, at least they're dense for me, about probability and statistics and economics and philosophy. And I find them difficult to read, but I really enjoy them when I I force myself to sit and do the work of getting through these books. So if you like that kind of book, look up The Black Swan and Anti-Fragile. I found them to be difficult but entertaining reads. Maybe you will too. But Taleb has this idea that most of what we think we can predict, we can't predict at all. One of the biggest examples he uses is the stock market and how we have this thing called modern portfolio theory. And modern portfolio theory says... If you have a long enough time horizon, the stock market always goes up. Sort of the whole financial services industry is built around the idea that if you look at 80 or 90 years worth of history in the stock market, it grows at an average of about 7 or 8% per year. And all of us are banking on that always being true, and that's why we can confidently put money into our 401ks and into our indexed mutual funds and all these things that are supposedly going to provide us with security and stability in our finances in the long term. Taleb says, listen, just because it has always happened that way doesn't mean there's any reason whatsoever to believe that it always will happen that way. It's this false sense of security that we have that, if we're honest, hasn't even been true for the last 80 or 90 years. Because he says, sure, if you average it all out over those 80 or 90 years, the stock market goes up. But if we zoom in, we can see that several times over those decades, we've had massive crashes in the market. And when those massive crashes happened, the people that suffered the most were the ones who needed that money in that moment. And in the middle of that crash, they didn't have that money. And they also didn't have time to recover that money over another 10 or 20 years while the market got back to its pre-crash levels. So what he's saying is just because it averages out over the long term, doesn't mean that tomorrow something catastrophic catastrophic might happen in the world that completely obliterates that long-term average, especially for the person who need it to be true in the moment. So he has these really interesting criticisms of things like modern portfolio theory, and he goes a completely different way, and he says, if I'm investing in stocks, the most rational thing I can do is I can pursue kind of an 85%, 15% split with my allocation. And what I'll do is I'll take 85% of my money and I'll buy U.S. treasuries, uh, U.S. treasury bonds, which are the safest, most guaranteed financial instruments in the world. So he puts 85% of his money there, 
And he says, the other 15% of my money, I'm going to put it into the riskiest possible investment that I can find. And it's not because he's a risk-loving person, because remember, he took 85% of his money and he used it to get U.S. Treasury bonds. I'm going to put 15% of my money into the riskiest investment I can possibly find, because if it is the riskiest investment I can possibly find, I'm very likely to lose that money, but I have some small chance of having that money go completely crazy in terms of a massive return. So it's this sort of calculated gamble where 85% of his money is as safe as it possibly can be, and 15% of his money is likely to be lost but has a very small chance of growing massively. This is why venture capitalists, when they invest their money, they like to make relatively small bets on a bunch of different companies because they don't know which of those companies is going to take off. We don't know which company is going to become Facebook, but if I'm a venture capitalist who happened to invest some small amount of money in Facebook, along with 100 other startups at the time, the other 99 startups probably failed, but Facebook delivered such a massive return to that investor that Facebook paid back not only the investment in Facebook, but it paid back the investment in all those other failed investments as well. Now, I'm not saying I want to be a venture capitalist. That's not even what Taleb says in these books, but it just illustrates the idea that he says, take the majority of your money, put it in the safest possible place, take the smallest part of your money, and give it a chance to do something really, really outside of what you could predict. So put it in a position to really, really outperform your wildest imagination with the 85% to fall back on. Now, the way I've been thinking about this is, how do I apply that principle to my time? And to a degree, I've already been applying that principle to my time because I have this safe, stable, you might even call it boring in the best way possible, consultancy that is my day job as a freelance CFO. I have clients on retainer. I do lose clients, so there's some fluctuation in my income. But over the long term, it's not that hard for me to get a new client. And, and as I stick with the job longer, people are paying me more and more for, for it. So it's this very safe, reliable baseline income. I could probably, if I stay in good health, I could earn the income that I'm making as a freelance CFO for the next 50 years if I'm fortunate enough to live that long. So I'm equating that to Taleb's advice that we take 85% of our money and we put it into U.S. Treasury bonds. I'm taking 85% of my time and investing it into this very safe, stable, and again, you might even call it boring, day job that is my freelance gig. But what about the other 15% of my time? See, Taleb's advice with the other 15% of my time would be to spend it on something that is likely to fail, but has a chance of being massively, massively successful. That's the criteria that he uses for that 15% of the allocation. So it got me thinking specifically about a project like Let's Do the Books. Let's Do the Books is this video course that I've created. It's high leverage because now that I've created it, anyone can buy it. So it could theoretically scale infinitely, right? I mean, a million people could buy that course. What I have to be honest about is whether a million people are likely to buy that course, or if there's really any scenario where all of a sudden I wake up one day and a million people are using Let's Do the Books. It's just probably not very likely to happen. There's not really a scenario that I can envision 
where Let's Do the Books takes off in that way. So there's not enough risk in that project because on the other hand, it's, it's not likely that no one will buy Let's Do the Books. It's not likely that it will never achieve any success. So what I've accidentally done with Let's Do the Books is I've created a project that has a very similar risk profile to the day job that I already have. In other words, if I were to put a lot of time and energy into marketing Let's Do the Books, it would, it would succeed. There's no question. It will succeed. It's already succeeding. Maybe hundreds of people per year could sign up for Let's Do the Books, and that would be an amazing income stream. I'm all for that. But there's really no scenario that I can envision where a million people buy it. So because it's very likely to succeed, but almost, it's almost guaranteed not to succeed massively, it's, it's guaranteed to not outperform even my wildest imagination, that means it's not risky enough, which means it's probably not in its current form the best way to use that 15% of my time if I'm following this Taleb guy's advice, right? So it got me to thinking, well, what, what are projects that have that possibility? And things come to mind, and these are examples he gives as well, things like writing uh, fiction. So he says, you know, there's a million or, or however many, hundreds of, tens of millions of fiction authors, right? There's only one J.K. Rowling. But the fact that J.K. Rowling wrote the Harry Potter series and that it has sold however many, hundreds of millions or billions of copies, is proof that being a fiction author has that ability to become otherworldly successful, to go to a scale that you really can't even fathom. It also meets the correct profile because most fiction authors never achieve any noteworthy success. So because most people fail and just a very few people become wildly successful, it fits this profile that Taleb, this black swan author, prescribes. Now you might be thinking, well, but I'm not, that's risky. Exactly. It's risky. Remember you're doing an 85, 15 split. So 85% of your time is spent on something that's so predictable. You might almost call it boring. And then 15% of your time is spent in this high, high, high risk scenario that's likely to fail, but has this small possibility of becoming wildly successful. And that applies to fiction books. It applies to screenplays. It applies to venture capital kinds of things. This applies to software projects, certain types of software projects where it's very likely to fail, but if it succeeds, it could succeed at a massive, massive level in a massive way. This is the kind of risk profile that he's proposing because he's saying your baseline project, your baseline income protects your downside completely. And then you're taking just some small percentage of your resources and putting it in play in a way that could become successful beyond your wildest dreams. I just think that's a really interesting way to look at the world. It's really got my wheels turning, and it's, it's getting me to think, hold on, if I'm going to start a second project that is similarly risky to the one that's already working for me, in other words, if I'm going to pursue something new that is about as likely to succeed and about as likely to fail as what I'm currently working on? Well, if the thing I'm currently working on is already winning, then the only reason I should start a second project that is similarly risky is if I want to switch jobs. In other words, if I didn't want to be a freelance CFO anymore, then it would make sense to start something that was similarly predictable and boring so that I could switch. 
and say, well, I used to be a freelance CFO, but I got tired of that. Now I work in this other thing. It's, you know, same kind of profile where I'm on retainer and I have just a few clients and they all pay me. It pays me well. It's safe, et cetera. I'd be switching from one to the other, but to run two of them that are similar actually doesn't make very much sense. I think that a lot of people, when they start new projects, they don't realize that they're starting something that's going to look very much like the old thing when there's nothing really broken about the old thing. So they might as well stick with that if their real goal is to do something on a totally different scale and a totally different level. You have to switch the kind of game you're playing instead of playing the same game in a slightly different way. Does that make sense? I think it makes sense. So you've got to think about that. If you're looking to make a switch from, one, from what you're doing now to something new, then you need to pursue something that does have a similar risk profile. I'm going to go from this boring, predictable, again, boring in a good way, boring, predictable, stable income to this other boring, predictable, stable income. And that's fine. But if you're looking to, to go into a phase of your life where you're saying, I wonder what could happen if, or what, I wonder what I would do if I wanted to go to the moon with this thing, then you have to pick projects that are pretty likely to fail and have some very, very small chance through luck and randomness and hard work and a combination of all those factors to become way wildly, unimaginably successful. Just let that roll, in your, uh, roll around in your head for the next week or so as you think about projects you're working on, projects you might like to work on in the future. I can tell you that what it has done for me is it had made, has made me appreciate my nice, boring in a good way, interesting, stable day job as a freelance CFO, and it has made me really want to stretch my imagination when it comes to side projects and how I might take the side project I already have, let's do the books, and how I might continue to pursue it but tweak it in a way that makes it just a little more likely to fail. I know how weird that sounds. Makes it a little more likely to fail but gives it some small chance of becoming massively successful. Let that roll around in your head for a week. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you in about seven days. Have a good one.